Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Welcome. Thank you all for being here this morning. If I don't know you, my name is Jake, and I get to serve as a lead pastor here at the Vessel. And I just want to say, man, I love this church uh, the Lord was really good and sweet to me this morning just during worship, just to be reminded of his goodness, and then I get to be a part of something. So I thank you for being here this morning, being a part of us. If you're joining us through Church at Home, we want to invite you and welcome you to engage online, and thanks for being here. I know that it's hard to do church in home as I've done it, but thank you for doing that. Uh, we've been in this series simply called The Gospel for the past uh, several weeks, really since February, and we're going to be teaching the gospel every single weekend essentially now until Easter. And so <clears throat> it's been really good. And I've said this kind of every week, but it's this, this kind of mantra and this idea is that the gospel is a life, to leave, a life to be lived and not just a story to be told. And I think we forget that sometimes. We think this gospel and understanding, we share the gospel and tell people about Jesus, what he did on the cross, how he loves them, how he wants relationship with them and what he did to restore that relationship through his blood on the cross. And we think that a lot of ways, like that's a starting point for our faith, which it is, right? We receive the gospel, but, but and, and, and sometimes we think we graduated beyond that or we move beyond that. But the truth is, is the gospel is everything we do. It's the very life that we live and every single day, the gospel is the reason that we live and, and the reason that we have life and the reason and our purpose that we have here on earth. And so the Lord was good to remind me of that today. And I think about it as a story. And, and we've seen through scripture in the heart of kind of this, this series that we've been in is to see that the gospel message and Jesus uh, saving, uh, going to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, it's throughout all scripture from Genesis chapter one to Revelation 22 that Jesus was the plan for God to save us and that what he's doing is he's writing a story and that we're part of that, like we're in flight. Like the gospel is not some ancient thing that happened once that we can know and understand, but the gospel is something that is happening in our lives as our lives and our stories of our lives unfold. And I was reminded about that today. Like in this room, I just thought like how beautiful the Lord is writing our stories and how he writes those things together. Like our worship team, uh, I think, you know, Alex is leading worship. If you don't know Alex, uh, Alex and Lane were some of the first people that we ever met when Shay and I first got married 16 years ago yesterday. Was our anniversary? Thank you. <clears throat> they were some of the first people that we met at ACF. And I remember meeting Alex. I remember meeting Alex. We were at, uh, I've told this story before to Alex, but we were at this it, it, was, it wasn't Aussies. It was one of those, it was like a volleyball place. It was downtown. And I remember meeting you there. I remember, I think you were crushing on Lane at the time. It's probably why you were there and Lane was there. And I remember that. And man, like to see Alex and Gary to lead worship, like that's significant for me because when they, they led at this men's retreat and after the men's retreat, I went up to Gary Gall and I said, man, uh, would you come be our worship leader? And I, and, and I talked to, I joked with Alex this morning is Alex wears these Sambas, these shoes, they're like sneakers. They're like super simple Puma shoes. They're like the Alex Jacobson shoe. It's like his uniform. And I noticed that. And then I think about like the Delulos come in here this morning. I remember the Sunday that we stood here two years ago and commissioned and laid hands and commissioned your daughter to go share the gospel with people that need to hear it. And man, I just thought how sweet 
like years later, here we are being able to worship and gather again. I remember hope. I remember hope when you were a middle schooler and we were doing student ministry together. And I remember that. And I just think about how good the Lord is, like to write our stories together, to intertwine our lives, to bring us together. And I want you to be aware as we kind of jump in this morning, as we talk about the gospel over the next several weeks, it's like, it's going on in your life right now. And I want to encourage you to like the Lord was gracious and good to me this morning to just give me a little picture to look around this room and to see people that I know and love and have done small group with and have married and have walked through really difficult times and really exciting times is that the Lord's story is in flight in your life every single day. And I know that there are some of you in this room that you're in a hard season and the chapter of your life right now is painful, is hard, is uncertain. And I, want to, I just want to acknowledge that for you. And I want you to know that like the Lord is at work in all that. And that's the goodness of God is that nothing is lost on him. His glory and his goodness. And so as we've been in this series, like God's just really made that aware. And so last week we, we talked about communion and we, we took communion together and we talked about the sacrament or the ordinance that is communion. And essentially the Lord through scripture has, has kind of given us these two ordinances or two sacraments. I don't know if you have baggage over the word sacrament. If you grew up in a church where that was like a, a thing, it was not for me, so I have no baggage, but <clears throat> these two kind of sacraments or ordinances, one being communion, the other being baptism. We looked last week at Exodus chapter 12 and how this Passover and how what the Lord did to save these people and to deliver God's people out of, out of uh, bondage and slavery and, and to birth this nation and how this Passover festival that they served and how Jesus fulfilled the Passover and how we celebrate that today, that that is the gospel. And so we're gonna be talking about baptism today as the other ordinance that we do as Christ followers. And so communion is something we do regularly. It's to remember, it's to give, give honor and remembrance to what the Lord did on the cross, his body being broken for us, his blood being poured out and the forgiveness of our sins. And so today we're gonna to talk about baptism and, and baptism is the other ordinance that's prescribed in scripture and that we're, we're told to do and to exercise. But unlike communion, baptism isn't something that we do regularly, it's something that we do once, it's something we do at the beginning of our faith and it marks, just like communion is an image and a picture like when we take communion in this room, you're just eating a bland wafer and some hopefully grape juice that hasn't turned yet, right? But it's what the picture is. It's a symbol of what God did to do and remember. It's the same thing as baptism. If you think about baptism, baptism is like totally strange and weird. Like if you took someone from a far off planet or that had no sense of Christianity and you came and you put them here and we had a baptism, they would think that's crazy. Like that's weird. I remember as a kid, I used to go to the swimming pool. We had a pool in our neighborhood and we'd go up there and my brother would dunk me, right? And what he would do is he would, he was older than me. He was my big brother. So he would, we would wrestle in the pool and he'd get me and he'd wrap his arms around me from behind where my arms were like this and he just dunked me repeatedly like to the point where I'm, I'm almost drowning. He's like dunking me and holding me other. Like that's baptism, right? That's it. Like if someone came in here, we said, what are you doing? Oh, we're gonna take this person. We're gonna get in the water. We're gonna talk about them. They might cry. 
They're gonna talk about death. They're gonna talk about life. They're gonna talk about this God. Then we're gonna dunk them underwater and then everyone's gonna clap. You know, like just normal Christian things. And they'd be like, oh yeah, nice. And so that's interesting. But it's this symbol of death and life. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, this, this idea of the gospel through baptism. What is this picture and this image? And really it is, is it's just getting wet, right? And it's just like my brother, uh, when we were kids, dunking me in the pool, in our neighborhood pool, but it means something. And it, it, it points to the gospel in life. And so I have a few pictures here because baptism is some of my favorite things that we get to do. And so this is a baptism I did <clears throat> Uh, for my nephew, and this is one of my favorite baptisms uh, because we were in Hawaii. This is on a beach in Hawaii. So my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law, he's a naval pilot, and so uh, we went and saw them last year, and this was a, a week, a year ago this next Sunday. So this is one year ago, and he wanted to be baptized, and so we went down, and man, if you want a great place to be baptized, I can recommend a beach in Hawaii is really a cool place. And man, it was just really special and it was so cool to hear him say uh, about baptism. We were driving around the car beforehand that week as we were uh, being baptized and we were talking about being born again. He goes, that's a really crazy concept. I was like, I agree. And so does Nicodemus in scripture. And so it's just cool to see that and for him to profess faith in Christ in this symbol that is baptism. The next picture uh, is, that's my uh, oldest daughter. Uh, sorry. That's my oldest daughter and... Um, this was years ago when I baptized her. Next picture. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't expect to have that reaction then, but you know how it goes. All right. Um, so this is my baptism when I was a baby. Uh, this is, you want to see Big Martin with the mustache? There he is right there. There he is right there. I, I vote he grows it back, right? He's got the beer, but we need to see just the stash. So there it is. This is my baptism when I was a baby. I, was, I grew up in the Methodist church, and so... I was baptized as an infant and, um, that, you know, we didn't have pictures of the baptism, but this was the day of and that picture. And so uh, this was my other favorite baptism because that was such a special day for me. It, I don't remember it, but there it is. So, uh, so as we talk about baptism, I want to give us some kind of ground rules. And they're not ground rules, so to speak, but just kind of give us a basis that we can all agree on. Like we, we're a room of people that come from a Methodist church or, or no church at all, or, you know, where we are in this relationship with the Lord kind of being in flight. And so I want to be aware of that. And so I want to just give some like some starting points that we can all agree on, regardless if you believe in Jesus, if you think baptism is this crazy thing that we do and ridiculous of what it all is. And these are not biblical concepts, and they are biblical concepts, but things that we can all agree on. So the first is this, and it, it, the reason I wanna say this is I think it helps us to understand the picture of baptism, regardless of what we think about Jesus, what the image is. And so the first kind of ground roller thing that we can agree on is that you will die, right? There's no one here in this room or online or in your life that would disagree with that idea. There is death for us is that every one of us are aware this isn't a spoiler warning for the end of your life. You are going to die, right? And I get that, you know, like, that, yes, there's caveats and, right, the, you know, the Lord could come back and, and, and change things, but we're all aware of this. It's like kids, every, if you have kids, you know that every time, you know, as your kids are growing up, this question always pops up. This says, Daddy or Mommy, will you die? 
what happens will you, if you die? And you say to your kid, yes, like I will die. And, and, and that's, we're all keenly aware of this concept. So I don't think we have anyone disagreeing on that concept of death, of death being a part of something every one of us will face. The next thing <clears throat> that we can agree on and kind of give us this basis is who you are is, is more than just like meat and, and bone and, and flesh holding it all together and skin. Like who you truly are inside is beyond that. Like you're not just some meat popsicle, right? That it's just an organism that's walking around. Like it's the part of you that makes you you, that makes you have emotion and feeling and compassion and humor and fear and insecurity. All those things are a part of you and who you are. And I think that most of us agree on this and, and sure, there, there will be some that would argue against this. That a staunch atheist would disagree with this and say, no, this is just happenstance. But I have a hard time with that. Not a hard time with them thinking that, but I'm not, you know, a hard time saying, do you truly believe that? You know, do you really believe that, that you are just a happenstance and that who you are is just flesh and bone alone and that's it? Like, where is your, where's the capacity to love? Where is that contained within you? Like we can't cut you open and look inside your body and quantify your ability to love the way you care for a child, the compassion that you have, the reason that I can't see that picture of my daughter being baptized and not be moved. Like what is that? That's me. Like that's who I am more deep down inside my heart. <clears throat> now believe that Science is firmly on the side of a creator. The more we know, the more we realize that this isn't just accident. That the more we look at the body and the creation of life and the more we look at planets in motion, the more we understand that there is a creator. As long as you're willing to consider the idea that there is something beyond you. And if you're not, then I get it. Then I get it. And, and sure, if, if you're not willing to understand that there could be something other than you, and that you're the highest form of being, man, good luck with that. Uh, I, I'm depressed for you. That's really hard to understand. Shay and I were talking about creation uh, this past week as we were, she was talking something about Genesis chapter one. And we talked about the idea of like, okay, like we, we, we have such similarities to, in DNA to chimpanzees and apes and gorillas, but man, we can go to a zoo and see them in a cage and no one, there's no atrocity over that. Right? Imagine going to a zoo and seeing a human being in a cage. Like We would be up in arms over that. And so just this idea that we can all pretty much agree that who you are is deeper than just your physical being. And so if we using logic, so if we say that we all agree that there is death and we all agree that who you are is beyond and deeper than just a meat stick, then we can agree on this last thing is that there's something that happens to you upon death. I'm not talking about physically that deep part of you and who you are. And, and your thought might be like, that's it. Like upon death, the existence of you is like unplugging a computer. It just stops and who you are is done. But there's nothing like physically tangible of a part of you that we can understand of what happens. So baptism in scripture is a picture of what the gospel of Jesus Christ says happens to you when you put your faith in Jesus and receive Jesus into your life. 
is this picture of that who you are inside, being laid to death, being raised to life. Baptism is a picture of that. So we're gonna read uh, this morning out of Romans chapter six. And so at what, what, I'm gonna read this just few verses to us, but I'd like to invite you to stand as I read this and we'll pray and get into it. So Romans chapter six, verse three, four, and five say this. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for people, for relationships, that every one of us can look around this room and realize that our lives and our story is being written and that you are a God that loves and desires to be in life and relationship with us, God. I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for pictures uh, of baptism that can move us to tears, Lord. And they're just pixels on a screen, but they mean more to us. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God of life and you are a God of death. God, and we put our trust and our hope in you. I pray, Jesus, as we just kind of dive in and look at baptism Lord, that you just reveal yourself, your heart, your nature to us in and through this, God. We thank you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So as you look at this scripture, last week when I was looking at communion, like there's a lot on communion, right? There's, there's Passover. There's every one of the gospel has this last supper. Even 1 Corinthians has information on what it means to take communion. But baptism is different. As baptism is, it feels like, as I started praying and looking at scripture this week, baptism feels like it's sprinkled throughout the entire Bible. And so trying to choose one like passage that explains it um, was, was really hard. And so I kind of land on this Romans chapter six that talks about baptism. So I want to look specifically at this, these few verses and, and then in the grander scheme of scripture of what it says. And so the first thing that this, this verse says right out of the gate in verse three, and it teaches us that the gospel Like if you look at baptism as this image of gospel, the gospel is death. The gospel is death. And so I know that that may sound and feel like a controversial saying to say, how is death a good news? We know gospel means good news. How is death good news? But it says it right here in verse three. Verse three says, or don't you know information intellectually, don't you understand, not experientially, intellectually, don't you understand that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. The gospel is death. I said it the first week uh, when we started this series, I said for this, for far too long, our strategy for sharing the gospel has started with the sin of man rather than the love of Jesus. And that is true, and I stand by that. That for far too long, we have shared the gospel in the backwards way, by not telling people, by, by focusing on the brokenness and the sin of man, rather than the love of Jesus, rather than the love of a God that loves you so much, he would do anything to be in relationship with you and that you could have life. And I stand by that. But the Bible deals with death and talks about death very directly and very specifically. It's not something that that scripture beats around the bush. It's not something that Jesus doesn't address. It's, It's really an important part when we look at scripture and understand the gospel. And here's the truth is you can't consider life in Christ without considering death and transgression. You can't consider life in Christ without first considering death and transgression. And without it, 
we get this incomplete picture of the gospel and what it truly means. And we see this happening all around us in Christian culture. For a long time, we've done this. We've shared a watered-down, incomplete, half-hearted version of Scripture and the gospel. Like, we just think, man, if we can get somebody to walk down the aisle, if we can play the right note, if we can turn the lights down, if we can speak in a way that's powerful, then they're gonna have this moment that they're gonna accept Jesus. And we think, man, if we can just get them across the line, we've done our part. But, but I would argue that this watered-down version of the gospel that we've been preaching and telling people for years is, is as bad as any unbelief or false religion or false teaching, that it is, that it is destructive. I read a, a book recently uh, called uh, Standing in the Fire, and it's about people finding faith in Jesus uh, in, in really extreme circumstances and in countries like, uh, you know, Jordan and in Lebanon and these places where it is, it is their life is, is at risk to even consider Jesus. And this isn't the gospel that they receive. This watered down, it's gonna be fine. Jesus loves you, fit him into your life, gospel. And, and if you are in a church where the word Christian could be exchanged with the word country club and nothing would look different, like that's a problem. And we've got way too much of that. So I don't mean to talk about death in this really morbid and dark way, but I just wanna be honest about what scripture and what Jesus says about death. <clears throat> a few years ago, not a few years ago, Nine years ago, when Shan and I bought our house that we live in currently, <clears throat> man, thank God we bought nine years ago and not today. Bless you if you were buying a home, man. It is a mess out there. So we bought our house and we moved in, um, and we moved in on a Sunday. So we closed on a Friday. We got the keys on a Friday. We're not messing with it on a Saturday. We're moving in on a Sunday. Shay had Keller. That's how I know it was nine years ago. Keller's nine. Shay had Keller um, like the week of. And so we were at my in-law's house, uh, don't tell Nana, but I was ready to move out of my in-law's house after three months, and I'm sure they were ready for us to go. But uh, we moved in, and so we had this big plan. So after church on Sunday, we were part of this church. Everyone was gonna come over, and, and we had this big group of people that were gonna help move us in, right? Because we're poor, and we are part of a church, so we don't have to pay for movers. You are our movers. So we are part of a church, and so my mom and I, what we did is we're gonna go clean the house like top to bottom. So we get there at 5 a.m. on Sunday. So I'm skipping church, right? I'm going there. Everyone's getting at our house at one o'clock, and we're gonna clean the house from top to bottom. Man, we've got a, a, a carpet cleaner. We've got vacuum. We've got all this stuff. We get there at 5 a.m. We pull up, and we knock on the door because we think there's someone in there. We knock on the door, and the people were still there the people that lived there and we bought the house from, and they're like, oh, hey, come on in. And we're like, okay. We're like, what's going on? So we walk in and yeah, furniture and that sort of stuff. Like they have furniture out and stuff boxed up. But man, they were still there. Like every drawer was full of stuff. The pantry, the refrigerator, the closets, the garage, everything was full of stuff. And sure, they moved the furniture out, <clears throat> but stuff was still there. And so I'm, man, I'm a, I handle stress really well. I don't get fired up. But in that moment, I was like, oh, all right, okay. I, I had to move. I was like, all right, we're gonna go get breakfast and we'll be back. And once you wrap up here, 
So we go, and my mom's like, it's gonna be fine. So we go back, and man, they are not out of the house. And so our, we're trying to help them move out of their house. Our crew arrives at one o'clock. They're still in the house. And so we break our crew into two, two teams. Like, all right, you're gonna help these people move out, and then you're gonna help us move in. It's gonna happen all at once. And amazingly, I still don't think we've lost a box. But they would open up in drawers. These family have built the house. They've been there for 20 years. So they, we had students, because from student ministry, that were opening drawers trying to box off like one or two. My mom was like, no, you just take the drawer out like this and you dump it into the box. And that's how we were helping them move out. And it's a funny story, but we do that with Jesus. Like we receive Christ in a way where we think about our house and our life and our heart, where we make room, we move furniture out of the way, but all the junk, all the crap that's in our drawers and in our pantries and our closet, all the stuff that you've been storing and hiding away in your garage, it's still there. And let me just say like, that's not it. Like when we talk about death and we talk about giving our lives and dying to ourselves and we think we can't, you don't get to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life and still keep those drawers full of mess and junk. And we do this all the time. We, 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 we try to hide these things away and put them in these corners of our lives where in our hearts where Jesus doesn't belong. We try to put them in a closet, put them in a drawer and it could be anything. It could be your unhealthy relationship with social media. Like, man, I want Jesus in, but golly, I've got some followers on TikTok is the thing now, right? And this is really good. Or my vanity and how I look. Or man, my relationship with alcohol. Like, it's not, I'm not an alcoholic. It's controlled, but it's definitely a relationship, right? Or, or it's my job or my work, or my reputation or my hobby. I'm not willing to sacrifice. And here's how you know, if there's something in some drawer or some corner of your life where you think the Lord could take that from me and you, you tense up like that would be bad, that should give you pause. Jesus tells it perfectly in a story in, in scripture. He meets this man, uh, the, the rich young ruler. So he meets this young man uh, as he's going along. And this man comes to Jesus and he says, how, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Right, he's this young man. He's wealthy, he's successful. Uh, he's got it all together. And he comes to Jesus, he says, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, do you know the commandments? He goes, I do. I know the commandments, I've kept them all since I was young. And Jesus is like, great. And then verse 21 in Mark 10, Jesus looks at him and loved him. So let me tell you that Jesus tells him this out of love, not judgment, not hate, not discouragement. Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this man has done it all. He's lived this life, it's righteous, it's good. He's made good decisions. He's followed all the commandments since he was a kid. He's checked all the boxes, right? He has this Christian life, so to speak, that we would see. But he lacked one thing. He wasn't willing to die to himself. Verse 22 says, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. We hear the story and we feel sorry for this man. We think, man, you missed it. Right? And never do we identify as the rich young ruler, right? We never identify in scripture as that person. And I think we feel sorry for this man, but honestly, and we see this, this man as a failure and bad on this guy, right? He didn't do it. He wasn't willing to. We think, man, that guy missed out. But we don't hit to hear the end of his story. 
We don't know what happened. Since he's a rich young ruler, and he may have lived a long, wealthy life and figured out the end of that road that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. We don't know. Because what Jesus did in the moment of telling him that, that really hard truth was loving and kind. And the man walked away with his head held low because he had great wealth. And the man's face fell. The gospel, we should have more reactions like this to the gospel. If we are truly standing on what scripture says that is true about our life, that's true about God, that what Jesus did, there should be more of this response of people with their head held low. And more people should react this way. I want you to listen to this. These, this, these are just scripture that are just taken out of context, out of scripture. But I want you to listen to some of the words, right? John 3 says, he must be, become greater and I must become less. That's the gospel. Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Galatians 5, those who belong to Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Verse 23, he said to them, this is in Luke 9, excuse me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. 1 Corinthians 15, I protest brothers by my pride in you, which I have in Christ our Lord, I die every day. And if you're here and like this is coming at you a lot right now, like this feels like a lot, like I'm sorry. I'm sorry that at some point and somehow no one told you the truth about Jesus and about what was really asked of you. And man, in our effort to water it down, to make it easy for people to cross some man-made imaginary line, we've not shared the full scope of what is true about Christ and what he's done and what life looks like and the gospel is death. It cannot be replaced with life without first existing in death. And I love that this idea. So, you know, seasons are changing, hopefully. Like we froze last night. I think that's the end because Shay and I have a garden. So we plant a garden every spring and we do the best we can until it gets, our tomatoes get out of control and we just let it die in the middle of summer. So we're about to plant a garden. So I love the idea of like seeds, like you taking a seed and planting a seed in the ground and out of that coming life right? Out of that seed coming alive. Jesus tells a parable of the four soils that you've heard before. A farmer, he goes out, he sows seed. He throws some of the seed that falls along a path. The birds snatch it up and it dies. Other seed falls in rocky soil. The, the plant sprouts up, but scorched by the sun because there's no depth of root. Uh, another seed uh, grows up among the weeds and is choked out by the weeds. And then finally, uh, some of the seed falls on fertile soil. Verse eight, it says this, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times over what was sown. And I love this idea of a seed. A seed by itself has the ability for a life, like scientifically, biologically, within the seed contains the possibility of life. But that life doesn't begin until that seed is buried in the ground. And they found seeds like in ancient temples and they've dug stuff up and they've taken those seeds and plant them in the ground. They've sat on shelves for years and then boom, life will come. But only once it's buried, only after it's planted in healthy soil. And what is healthy soil? Healthy soil is death. 
Like literally, I have a garden and we have a compost bin in the middle of our garden trying to create healthy soil. Soil is, is decaying organic, former organic life that's decaying and dying. Until you take that seed, you put it into the ground, into death. That's what the gospel is. And for a lot of us, like we've, 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 we've begun this relationship with Jesus and we're, we're sitting on this fence. Have you ever sat on a fence? That's not comfortable, right? At some point in your life, living both in the world and in the kingdom is hard and there's tension and there's pain in that until we fully give in, until we fully realize that I've got to die to myself. Everything, everything must go. I must deny myself daily, every single day. You got to wake up today, daylight savings. Man, I want to sleep in. Man, I'm tired. Man, I was up at Zoo Dust last night, rolling cable, Deuce, Wayne, or wherever he went. And like, I'm really tired. But man, I wake up today and what do I do? I die to myself so that Christ can live in me. And as morbid and as dark and maybe even as discouraging as this may be for you, this is the good news of the gospel. The gospel does not finish with death, but the gospel finishes with life. And the second thing we see here is the gospel is life. In verse four and five, it says this in Romans six. <clears throat> we were therefore buried with him through baptism and death. Literally the image of baptism, when you lower someone and we, we have this thing, we dunk them, it is laying them to, it is them dying to themselves, dying in their transgressions, death. It is laying them below the surface of the water. We were therefore buried with him through baptism uh, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of our father, we too may live a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So while death, death certainly is a part of the gospel, without life, there is no good news. If it ends with death, the gospel is not good news. It's just news. It's, it's bad news, right? And it's a news that we all realize. And at its core, baptism is an image of new life being birthed out of a place of death, right? It's again, someone being laid to rest. Like someone saying, I'm giving into myself. I'm dying to myself and being laid to rest in my transgressions. But I'm, I'm being raised and brought forth by the breaking of water as to new life. And this, this, this scripture, like this image of water is a theme that runs through all scripture, literally all scripture. The second verse, Genesis chapter one, verse two says, now the earth was formless and void, Darkness was over the surface of the earth and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right at the beginning there is water and water is this image in scripture of life. It's this image of life. It's mentioned 722 times in scripture, more often than faith, more often than hope, the word water and this image of water being life. And water is the symbol of life. You can look at your, yourself, like you're 60% water. We live on an earth that's 70% water. Right? You can go three days without water. Water is life and it has a symbol in scripture. And so it begins in Genesis with water. And, and, it, and it begins with this creation and this birthing of existence. Creation tells us that God created land by separating the water and bringing it up from the ground. Literally the water separated and what was birthed was land and where life exists out of that. Chapter two, we see the Garden of Eden. 
with that, the center of it is what? Is, 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 is a spring of water that flows outward to all the land. In verse two in Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter two, verse 10 says, a river watering the, watering the garden flowed out from Eden where it was separated into four headwaters. That the center of the garden of Eden is life. And it didn't, scripture says it didn't rain, that this life comes up from the ground and it is life. We see at the beginning of scripture, we see at the end, Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the Bible, verse two says this, or verse one says this, when the angel showed me the river of water of life, brightest crystals flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the streets of the city, also either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were healing, were healing for the nations. And there it is, Eden restored. Like in Revelation 22, when the Lord restores it all and brings it all back, at the center of it all is water and life. And it continues this throughout Scripture. We talked last week in Exodus chapter 12 about God freeing the, 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 uh, his people and the Israelites and freeing them out of slavery. And so literally when they go out and they leave Pharaoh, they, they have all these plagues. And we talked about the, the plague of the firstborn. It hits and Pharaoh says, finally, you may be free. He frees them from bondage and slavery. And so Pharaoh doesn't get long before he has regrets. He's like, I'm gonna go get these people back. That was a mistake. This is like a million people. I need these slaves. This is, I want them back. So he starts chasing them and they come to the, the Red Sea, right? And you know the story from a kid. What does, the, what does Moses do? Puts his staff in the water and the Lord parts the water and births a nation that God's people are birthed in that moment by the parting of waters and these people being let out. Verse 16 says this, says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it and that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. God delivers them from slavery and bondage. They've lived this life of generations of slavery and bondage. And that's exactly what the Lord offers us through the gospel. He offers us life and freedom from the bondage and slavery of sin that we live. Um, in verse six here, if you just go a few verses later in, in Romans chapter six, it's for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, enslaved by sin under the bondage of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. And look, I'm not saying that you won't still struggle with sin. I'm not saying that, that that's not still a temptation. I, I do every single day, right? Daily, I struggle with sin. But what I am saying is that sin no longer has a ruling or control of your life and that you are no longer guilty of that sin that you may struggle with. And here's the truth, is that a life in Christ is not just living to see another day, but truly to live as God intended us to live. It's an abundant light and God offers it now. Think about being laid to death in our transgression, being raised in new life. What the Lord is offering to you, he's offering it now. It's not, hey, I'm gonna accept Jesus and punch my ticket to heaven and I'm gonna get through this life and make myself, surround myself with me, Christians as possible to make it easy so that my eternal life can begin upon my physical death. No, life begins at the moment of salvation. It's freedom from sin and bondage so that you can truly live now. And it's what Jesus says in Nicodemus. 
as uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus when he comes and asks him about this, he says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. And here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that in Christ, offers you this opportunity to be laid to rest in your transgressions, to be done with that life and to be born new. And I'm not talking about the physical, I'm talking about the spiritual. And it's this image of being born again. I know that this was a crazy statement for Jesus to say to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is educated, is smart, is powerful. He, and, and, and kind of some embarrassment, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night so no one sees him. And Jesus tells him this, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, what do you mean? Like, do I, you're saying I've got to climb back in my mother's womb, as ridiculous as that is, right? But that is a perfect image of what it looks like to have new life. What's the first thing that happens when a woman goes into labor and begins birth? What's the first thing that happens? Her water breaks. Like this image of water breaking, and a woman's water breaks, and new life comes. And I'm telling you, once a woman's water breaks, you're not stopping it. Right? There's no pause, there's no wait, there's no get to the hospital. Baby is coming, life is coming forth, whether you're ready or not. Shay and I, Shay really, we had three kids and all of them were induced and that really is like one of Shay's dreams not lived out. She's like, I wanna be in a place where my water breaks and I get to experience that. We gotta rush to the hospital, but it just didn't happen for us in that way. And then she had a friend um, that called us, a neighbor down the street called us at 3 a.m. and said, oh my gosh, my water broke. I know this is inconvenient. Can you come? She was like, yes, I'm so excited. I want to live, I can live this through you, right? But it's this image of water breaking and new life coming forth. And that's the picture and that's what Jesus offers. The gospel is death and the gospel is life. And what the Lord does when we receive Jesus, and man, I may be preaching to the choir, right? I may be preaching to people that have been there, done that, but man, we gotta live the gospel every single day of our lives. And we need to remind ourselves of what Jesus did every single day. And so as we close, I wanna tell you a couple of things. First is that baptism, and let me tell you this before I say all this. This isn't a, hey, let me manipulate you into being baptized so we can get our baptism numbers up and we can post pictures on Instagram because they're really great, right? That's not my intent. That's not my heart. But like, if you've never been baptized and you've never made that decision and the Lord is stirring you into that, I wanna encourage you to be bold to take that step. And so as I close, I'll say this. Baptism is both a response and a decision. It's both the response and the decision. First of all, it's a response. Scripture's clear that it is a response to the gospel. Shay preached a couple weeks ago about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and he said that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah 53, and Philip says, do you know what it is that you're reading? And Philip says, how can I unless someone tells me, unless someone tells me the good news about Jesus? He said, is Isaiah talking about himself? Philip says, no, he's talking about Jesus. He gets into his chariot and he tells him the gospel. And it's clear from this, and we can ascertain from this, is that he tells them the story and he tells them the importance of baptism in it. When we look at, at Acts chapter two, 
at the day of Pentecost, the first time that the gospel is preached, the first time Peter stands before 3,000 people and preaches the gospel, they say, what shall we do? The gospel, or baptism is a response. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Scripture says that they were pierced to their heart. When he told them about what Jesus did, it says that the people were pierced to their heart Back to our, our very beginning when we talked about the you that's you, right? Literally, they weren't pierced to their heart to death, right? But it moved to the part of them that is who they are so deeply when they heard about how much Jesus loves them and what he did on the cross for them. And he says to respond by repent and be baptized. It's also a decision. Like I said about the Ethiopian eunuch, he tells them this. And we can ascertain from that that obviously he tells them that baptism is a part of that. Uh, and that it's a significant role and part of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. In verse 36 in Acts chapter eight says this, as they travel along the road, this is Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, he's just shared the gospel. The eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into water and Philip baptized him. Baptized, baptism is a response and a decision. It's a decision that only you can make. I grew up at the First United Methodist Church of Orange, Texas. It was the same church I went to. My grandparents went to my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and I was baptized as an infant. And so as I really began a relationship with Jesus, um, I was faced with this very response and decision. And I... To be honest with you, I bristled up against that. When someone said, hey, should you be baptized? Like, I have been baptized. I was sprinkled as a baby. I mean, I don't remember it, but I was baptized. And so, and, and someone asked me, well, you know, was that your decision? Was that your response to the gospel? Well, no. And my argument against it is, as I would always say this. I was like, why would I be baptized? I have a relationship with Jesus. I've been saved. I've been walking with the Lord. Why would I be baptized again? It doesn't change anything. There's nothing magical that happens in that moment. It might not be magical, but I promise you it's significant. And I can testify to you that my life changed when I was baptized, no doubt, is that I made the decision. I stopped asking myself the question, why would I be baptized? I asked myself the question, why wouldn't I? Like I look at scripture and I see this response and I see this Ethiopian eunuch says, pull over the chariot right now. This is my decision, my response. And so Lindsay, you got another picture of, uh, or no, Jana, sorry, of Shay. And so um, I made the decision uh, to be baptized. And so that's my wife, Shay. We celebrated 16 years yesterday. And so Shay baptized me at a YMCA pool. And I want you to know my life changed after that. And I, I'm telling you, it's not magical. It doesn't mean everything's gonna be okay. But I was a teacher, a PE teacher and a coach. Can I get an amen, right? Sixth grade PE teacher and coach. My buddy Dustin was too. And, and man, I made that decision and the Lord called me into ministry after that. It was this act of faith. It was trusting the Lord. It was a decision and a response that I made. So I just want you to know, like, if that's you and the Lord stirring your heart, like we have a pool, we have a YMCA. You can pull your chariot over, you know, like, but it needs to be your decision and your response. And baptism is this image of what happens to us. 
And first of all, you've got to die to self. And that's a big, big deal. And I don't think we give it the credit that it's due, but I want you to realize that what is asked is everything. Like to give your life to Christ is everything. All the drawers, all the junk, all the place, you give it all and you die to self. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And I get it. You may have parts of your life that you're not ready to let die. Man, and I pray that you engage with the Lord in that and you tell him, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing that you can pray that, is, that can offend God, right? That can, if you can go to him and just be honest about those things, things that you can't lay down in your life, addictions that you have, insecurities that you leverage in different ways, and it's being born again and raised to life in Christ. If you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.